Hello, and welcome to Beyond Japan, an interdisciplinary podcast that looks at the broad reach of Japanese studies from within and beyond Japan. This podcast is brought to you by the Center for Japanese Studies at the Sainsbury Institute for the Study of Japanese Arts and Cultures, in collaboration with the University of East Anglia. I'm your host, Oliver Moxon, Office Coordinator at the Sainsbury Institute and Researcher of Japanese War Heritage. This week we are joined by Michael Kodaka, PhD candidate at the School of Oriental and African Studies in London, to discuss studying pornography, the challenges that come with researching such a contentious subject, and the insights we can gain from it. Michael will also share her research on Jose Muke Pornography, or Pornography for Women, being produced in the Japanese adult video industry, and how this genre has challenged mainstream pornography shots for the heterosexual male gaze. We hope you enjoy the show. Good evening, Michael. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. So first of all, we'd like to know a bit more about you. Can you tell us about your area of expertise and how your interests have brought you there? Okay. Uh, my name is Michael Kodaka. I'm a PhD candidate in anthropology and sociology at SOAS University of London. So my research expertise is gender, media, and uh, commodification of intimacy. In my doctoral thesis, which I'm currently finalizing, I am exploratory looking at female fans surrounding male porn actors in female-friendly pornography we call about adult videos in Japan. So the reason of my interest in pornography is that having born and raised in Tokyo, I've been curious about the neon light that is kind of like iconic scenery of Tokyo night, especially around Shinjuku, Shibuya, and Roppogi. This is also because as a high school kid surrounding such areas, I often heard the stories about schoolmates who had sugar daddies. We used to call this phenomenon enko. That means relationship with financial support. I guess the term has changed, papakatsu. I think that's how it's called these days. Also, I have to say that there are many opportunities for young women in urban areas in Japan to commodify their sexuality. When I was an undergraduate student in Tokyo, I often encountered pimps on the street asking me whether I was interested in, in night works. From these experiences, I came to sense the gender structural issue associated with sex and money, wondering why only women were constantly objectified and commodified. So when I heard of female-friendly pornography in Japan, I immediately had an interest, especially after learning about the movement of feminist or alternative pornography in Euro-American countries. Just to add extra background, feminist pornography or alternative pornography is a movement to provide alternatives to male desire-centered representation in pornography by showcasing various kinds of gender, race, and sexuality that has become a trend in the late 2010s, exemplified by its front runner, a Swedish porn director, Erika Last. So I, as a newly enrolled PhD student at the time, was enthusiastically excited to research about female-friendly adult videos in Japan, believing that it was the Japanese version of a feminist movement. I see. Now, anyone with the vaguest familiarity of pornography will know that it comes in many flavors. So I think it would be a good idea to set some parameters for this episode. Uh, first, could you attempt to define pornography for us before specifying what pornography in particular your research addresses? So the definition of pornography is vague. What counts as pornography for one person might not do so for another. Its forms varies, like visual, audio, print, literal materials, and sometimes food. There have been many academic attempts from different fields and perspectives to define pornography, but the interesting thing is that they pretty much agree its difficulty. 
the idea of pornography travels through time and space, often accompanied with the idea of obscenity. For instance, pornography has existed in print culture as a vehicle to criticize political and religious authorities in early mo modern Europe. Looking at the other side of the world, Japan had shunga, that was the genre of sexually explicit paintings, which was very popular among Japanese people during the Id period, regardless gender and social class. So Walter Kendrick in 1996 argued that pornography became a public issue of obscenity due to the technology of mass publication during the 19th century in Europe. Simultaneously, the major government in Japan, which was strongly influenced by England and Germany at the time, started to ban shunga because it was inappropriate for a modernized nation, thus allocating the idea of obscenity with the pre-modern world. But the turning point of the discussion on pornography is definitely sex wars among feminists in the late 1970s. Feminists were divided into anti or pro-pornography, and this discussion was heated. There is a famous quote by Robin Morgan in 1980, that is, pornography is the theory and the rape is a practice. The idea was that pornography was not only degrading to women, it promoted misogynistic violence. On the other hand, pro-pornography feminists such as Nadine Strassen and Gay Rubin disagree with any censorship in pornography and argue it may empower women and encourage understanding of different sexualities in society. So despite of the standing point of anti-pro, I guess the difficulty of defining pornography is resulting in its social-cultural implication which the world itself embodies. In order to move beyond this anti-pro nexus, the recent academics have been attempted to establish the new academic discipline, that is porn studies. Because pornography has its own place in society and creates cultural codes, I believe that pornography should be given academic attention in a way, for instance, that is provided by media and cultural studies to study cultural material, that is, pornography as a part of visual ecology of the modern world just like other low-brow products such as Pulp Fiction or Britney Spears, for instance. <laughs> By following this standing point, I will see pornography in, in my case of Japan. Adult video is a market genre of mass media that is produced by certain production companies specializing it for the purpose of adult entertainment. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, even if people don't really want to talk about it, uh, it's definitely consumed on a massive scale and that's got to influence society. So uh, we Indeed. definitely need to raise the dialogue there. Now, as I'm sure you know, pornography is a controversial subject to discuss in any format, especially academia. In fact, when I was looking up the statistics around pornography consumption for this episode, I found most results came from groups looking to enforce social morality, framing it as something inherently wrong and the source of many social problems today. Before we dive into your research, can you tell us how you believe pornography should be approached by academics, if not the general public? I guess in this type of particular research which frames pornography as socially immoral and a cause of social problems is aiming to connect pornography and sex crimes. For me, drawing a line between pornography and sex crime is too simplified and lack of consideration of other social cultural factors. Not everyone who watch porn cause sexual harms, right? This overreaction in mass media is very similar to massacre in Columbia when a singer Marilyn Manson has been accused of his music to encourage teenagers for massacre. So I believe the discussion of pornography and that of sex crime is totally two different things. Mm. 
Regarding sex crimes, the close examination of criminals from psychiatric and sociological perspective is necessary. For instance, molester on a train is a social issue in Japan, and many critics have been blaming on adult videos as it encourages sex crimes. However, According to Takayuki Harada, a psychiatrist whose specialty is the treatment of molesters, molesters commit crimes not because of their sexual arousal, but the paralysis of a part of the brain which controls one's reasoning. The cause of paralysis is excessive stress on a daily basis. Harada also says that all of his patients are men, and the second conviction rate is only 4% after one-year treatment. In order to prevent from creating molesters, the discussion about gender social pressure, especially for men, is necessary. And I believe several attempts have been made from sociological perspectives. So the point I want to emphasize here is that we have to consider multiple social cultural factors to describe one's sexual behavior. Like I said before, pornography has its own place in our society. So academics have to use their skills and knowledges to understand pornography and sociocultural significance without any judgmental premise in order to contribute to create a rich discussion in this contemporary society. Definitely. Now, in your article, Female Pleasure Matters, you raise the point that in the wake of the hashtag MeToo movement, the sexual objectification of women has been thrust into public consciousness and has seen a call for non-aggressive and non-violent forms of pornography. What do you believe is the relationship between the porn one consumes and one's sexual behaviour in real life? To go further, do you think that the porn industry shapes general sexual behaviour or vice versa or a mix of both? I believe that alternative forms are crucial for sexual and gender identity politics, but the key to understanding the experience of pornography lies in the problem of identification and the dynamics of role play. In her analysis of pornographic comics, the sociologist Naoko Mori distinguished three different sexual roles. The dominant, which is seme, that is literally top or attacker. The passive uke, that means bottom or literally receiver and the peeping Tom, who enjoys others' sexual play voyeuristically. While Mori points out the all pornographic experience is based on voyeurism, she also argues that at the same time, the spectator can identify with either uke or seme. In other words, pornographic representation offer multiple possibilities of identification, which do not alter the reader's social identity. Identification and desire are not restricted to or contained within a binary. So this suggests that there may be no direct or ambiguous line from the porn user's sexual orientation and identity to bodily identification and desire. However, different forms of media may enable and delimit different processes of bodily identification. Live action and cartoon-based pornography may engage the spectator's sense of immersion and reality differently. As Mariana Ortega Berena describes in her research on hentai animation, quote, our arousal to this spectacle of literally unreal sex and corporealities need emphasis the self-reflective awareness of live bodied insofar as our identification with these non-live, non-fleshed entities might give us entrance into a world of imagined animated sensation and what. So whether acted in the flesh or cartoonish animated, pornography has been a target of social concern mostly because it appeals to our bottom half, which people still often consider obscene, vulgar or taboo. 
I would argue that watching porn is very much like other forms of cinematic escapism. Some people cry when they watch the notebook, others get good skin when they watch the shining, right? Mm. So I therefore think pornographic representation do not shape individual sexual behaviors. I guess you can try what you have seen on screen, only there is a consent from your partner, but the real sex is often different from pornography anyway. See, I find it interesting your distinction earlier between animated pornography and live action pornography because I think people often will often highlight how in hentai, for example, the proportions of women are ridiculous, but not、mm. just that, the personality, the nature of the women themselves is also highly fabricated, you know, being extremely childish. Being totally unrealistic. The person themselves is unrealistic as well as their body. What can we get from that about how pornography shapes our understandings of the sex to which we are sexually attracted? I, I can see the problem of you know, a representation of, of women in such a pornography.、Hmm. But at the, at the same time, you know, again, it's very difficult to draw a line between pornographic representation and the actual sort of like acting out of you know, individuals. Yeah. In a sense, that, like I said, Bernard Williams, the philosopher of ethic, he said, if there's no you know, like actual harm on people in the process of production, or and production, exhibition, and also consumption, there is no sense of harm in it anyway.、Mm-hmm. So, in, in a sense, the hentai anime or cartoonish you know, depiction. Even if it appears to degrading to women, if there is no actual harm on human beings, I think it has to be kind of allowed in, in a way to protect the freedom of expression. Yeah, I see. Definitely, it's freedom of expression that like, can't be denied. You discuss in your article about the need for alternative pornography, referring to the new genre of Jose Muke or pornography for women coming out of the Japanese adult video industry. What is this pornography an alternative to, and what makes it so different from mainstream pornography? From a gender political point of view, alternatives to male desire centered representation is necessary as the mainstream pornography these days is too predominantly produced for heterosexual men. My research subject, Jose Mike Adult Videos or Pornography for Women, is really significant for this reason. I have seen critical comments in mass media saying that I would never approve my wife or lover to watch such things, you know? But such a comment comes from a heterosexual man who believes that women should not be sexually active. I'm not saying this is a typical opinion of Japanese men, but the bringing awareness of female sexual desire is important as this has been shadowed in Japanese society. So, the emergence of Josenke adult videos, however, is actually resulting from a dynamic market shift which happened in the 2000s. The AV industry, which dominated pornographic media in Japan until it faced a downturn with the rise of free online streaming websites around the 2000s. As a result of this shift, soft on demand, in short, SOD, which is one of the monopolistic AV production companies in Japan, decided to expand its market to include potential female audiences by establishing a female friendly production line under the name Jose Muke. So, Silk Labo was launched in 2009 and Gold CH in 2012. So, the idea to launch a female friendly AV line came from a young female employee at SOD. Eri Makino, who observed the female demand 
for AB during a marketing collaboration project with a sex toy company. Later, Makino was tasked by the company to undertake market research and investigate what female audiences wanted to see. Makino visited sex shops and collected women's comments on pre-existing pornographic content, which was mostly targeting for male, straight audiences. The opinion collected fell into two groups. One, requesting more romantic slash intimate narrative-based stories, the other complaining about ugly and stereotypically masculine male actors. So under Makino's leadership, approximately 30 female SOD employees discussed what would be suitable for Josemiki AB. In the early stage of Silk Labor, Makino and her fellow staff often received unpleasant comments from male colleagues working in other sections of SOD. And their brainstorm meetings therefore generally took place outside normal work hours. So I guess hegemonic ideas stipulating that women are not supposed to talk openly about sex are still very strong in Japan. So unlike the mainstream AV targeting heterosexual men, silk level scenes do not omit the putting on of condom sync, which is often described as a turn-off by male viewers. Awkward moments and long foreplay usually missing in pornography aimed at men are featured prominently in these materials. Following the increase in popularity of Silk Lover in 2012, Gold's GH, an online streaming site with female-friendly pornography, was launched. Gold's GH soon became successful with 1 million users accessing the website each month, and within the last couple of years, it started producing for female customers who sought to watch more explicit versions of Silk Lover. The main point here is that this diversity in Josemike AV from romantic narrative-based silk double and girls' shares depiction of physical pleasure-oriented sex has enriched the possibility of what Josemike could offer in the current male desire-centered AV adult industry. See, I find that really interesting how this, this sounds like Josemike kind of evolved in contrast to the mainstream heterosexual male-oriented pornography mm. and it seems like the the greatest difference there is that romance is emphasized now yes. i mean what does that say about mainstream pornography and about what the, the industry thinks the average heterosexual man wants do you think that they don't want romance in their in their pornography <laughs> <laughs> I, I i guess it's very difficult to generalize the whole you know consumption of male audience because it really varies. And I, I guess the consumption of pornography also really varies. But at the same time, in my personal observation, from my personal observation, I've seen a lot of men saying that they only watch porno when they are in need for masturbation. So maybe they skip the sort of like a story thing. They only watch sex thing. So there's no place for any you know, storyline, for instance. But I, I guess what's the most interesting for me was that women wanted a sort of like a narratives. Mm. So they have to get the sense of how a couple build up their emotions. And then the process of getting into actual sex is actually needed for women to identify their yeah. romance. Yeah. So does that imply Sorry. that women uh, don't watch Jocelyn Muke uh, with masturbation in mind? I think Josemike AV is something more like a romantic drama, which is very popular in Japan. So, you know, for instance, Hanryu, K-drama, for instance. Mm -hmm. But I believe there are women who watch porn as in the same way like men does. 
for instance, as a masturbatory tool. So maybe they skip the, you know, like a narrative <laughs> scene and just watch sex scene to, sure. you know, for the bodily identification. I see. It's interesting to think of a genre of pornography which is closer to TV dramas than what we might think of as the mainstream pornography. Mm-hmm. What do you imagine the future of alternative pornography to be? Do you think a genre will one day exist which satisfies both the male and female gaze, perhaps daremo muke pornography? Okay. So during the interview with female employee SOD, in the course of my field work, they mm. told me interesting things. So this quote is actually from my field notes and quote start. So Josemike is just a label for us. We don't have any political or social ambition to create change Japanese society. It is purely a business for us as we are employees at SOD. The term Josemike is also useful for men so that they don't have to watch men's coming faces. For instance, it is the same with labels on drinks. You need labels to describe what you sell as white customer would not purchase. Surely the term Josemike is misleading, but we have all been working here at SOD even before Silk Labo. Women do watch AVs and therefore, and there are lots of female employees at SOD. I don't even know if the term Josemike is appropriate. I would be happy to use a better term if it exists. If we say Josemike, it would give an impression that women do not watch AVs in general. So I would not deny that it has a contradiction. When we asked the definition of Josemike by several mass media, we often said that adult video for women by women, but in reality, it is not, quote, end. So what I can say from this quote is that the current dichotomy of mainstream and Josemike is just about labeling, which makes it convenient for users to search for their needs. Also, I have encountered with several heterosexual and homosexual men who watch Josemike adult videos, like I have described before, pornographic representation and the one's sexual orientation are different things. Pornography is essentially already daremomuke, as you described, perhaps. So maybe in the future, we won't need such level anymore. And this reminds me of another interview with Erika Last, who once became famous as a feminist pornographer. So Erika describes her works as alternative pornography, because she said alternative pornography is more appropriate as not only does the pornography she creates provides a feminist alternative within a genre that has been appropriated by men, it also offers more aesthetically appealing alternatives to mainstream pornography. So at this current stage, I think we still need this level to demonstrate the inclusivity of the industry. However, it's also important to remind that pornography is potentially for everyone. Levels and genres are just indicators for users to search for what they want. I see. I have uh, one final question about your academic experience in researching pornography. Have you personally encountered any stigma or inappropriate behavior as a result of your choice of topic? And do you think being a woman researching pornography has been a factor in that at all? Thank you very much for asking this question, actually. I was so happy that you included this question. So as a female researcher studying a pornography-related subject, it is not undeniable of the presence of a certain difficulty. So formal studies, which is an interdisciplinary study of pornography, is a very new academic field. 
but owing to great scholars such as Linda Williams, Fiona Atterwood, and Clarissa Sumis, there is increasing recognition for porno studies. However, the discussion of pornography is still stigmatized and controversial, as in the same way Atterwood and Sumis states in the introduction of the first edition of Porno Studies Journal. They said, there were, of course, attempts to poke fun at the seriousness of academic investigations of pornography in keeping with the perennial accusation of the superficiality of media studies, as well as more negative coverage questioning the need for a publication of its kind. So studying pornography, regardless of researchers' intentions, could be contested as some people see no value of it, or there are some unsophisticated people get tingled by the fact there is a woman studying pornography. While there is an increasing academic slash public attention to female consumption of sex-related materials in relation to uprising sex-positive feminist discourse, I urge to claim that there is a still ontological struggle for women studying or talking about sex openly in public. During my own research, sexual harassment, humiliation, and sexting to my social media accounts came as a package, as if those were granted. Can you imagine that? There are several times when I was offered to be naked in front of screen, to be a woman for hire, and to have a casual sex by those who I encounter in the course of my research, and even in academia. So those men with a mindset of women who talks about porn must be easygoing, are very disgusting without any argument, right? So, (laughs) but this on the other hand, disclose the patriarchal reality of the world where we live in, which somehow empowered me and encouraged to continue my study. But nonetheless, I strongly feel that it is essential to express my sentiment of caution for any woman carrying out their research on sex-related topics in the future. It's important work. We're all glad that you're doing it. Um, you're not the first researcher I've met who studied sexual subjects in regards to Japanese studies. One of the first mm. seminars I went to in my undergrad was by a male researcher studying BL and Yaoi. Um, mm. And no one would have assumed that, oh, he must be easy, you know, because he's <laughs> researching this topic. So I definitely get what you're meaning, you know, get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, is there like a strong community, though, of researchers of sexual content? I'm not really sure about sort of like academic community Mm. for, you know, this kind of like support. But luckily, I have gained a lot of support from my colleagues and family and friends, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, for me, it was a very fortunate environment. But I think this understanding and support from close friends and family are very important. And there, there must be some way to reach out for help if you encounter any sexual harassment, which I did at my home university, actually. Yeah. And what would you have to say for any young woman who wants to research these topics and are just starting out? Uh, It's difficult, but it's definitely worth doing it. But you have to consider any risk or any potential risk before going to field work, because as a field worker, there are lots of you know potential risks, not just only about sex crimes, or about any kinds of you know potential risks surrounding in field work. So being cautious and being well prepared is very important. 
Well, thank you for answering all my questions, Michael. Before you finish the episode, can you share with us any of the projects you might be working on at the moment? Yes, thank you very much as well. My doctor project is on recognition and intimacy as commodities in Japanese Josemke adult video phone communities. So starting from close examination of Josemke adult video, I have focused on female fans or male porn actors in Josemke adult video. By conducting participate observation in the fan communities and the series of interview with each fan, it has become apparent that female fans, here I mean those women who identify themselves as fans and engage with fun activities. They look for interaction with male-born actors, aeromen, and love men at a series of events in order to restore their confidence and recognition of femininity. So the book chapter titled The Coin Appropriated Boyfriend, Recognition and Intimacy as Commodities in Japanese Josen adult Video Fun Communities will be included in the work of gender, service, performance, and fantasy in contemporary Japan edited by Gitte Marianne Hanse and Fabio Gigi. The publication of the book is, I hope, within this year from Nordic Institution of Asian Studies Press, as far as I know. I hope anyone interested in the topic will enjoy it. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you so much for joining me today, Michael. It's been a real pleasure. It's been a pleasure for me as well. Thank you so much for having me here. You can find a link to Michael's research profile in the description below. Next week, we'll be joined by Dr. Philip Seaton, professor in the Institute of Japan Studies at the Tokyo University of Foreign Studies, to discuss content tourism, travel behavior motivated by narratives, characters, and locations from pop culture. Philip explains how content tourism stands out from film or literature tourism through its transmedia approach, the term's origins in Japan, and the global nature of the phenomenon. We hope you'll join us then. Thank you for listening.